podcast ain't played nobody consulting edition. Um, <laughs> Bill and I have filed a LLC very hastily, um, and we are going to make our services available to Oregon State. Um, uh, you don't wear suits a lot, though. We're going to have to get you dressed up. I have a couple. I like having an excuse to. I just never have an excuse right. to. I'm not going to just wear them around the house, wear them in the kitchen. Hey, whatever you want to do. Um, Oregon State needs a head coach. Oregon State, it looks like, as we record this, doesn't need a head coach because of any like particular controversy. It looks like Gary Anderson up and walked away. The John Canzano column in the Oregon paper sort of confirmed that. It showed his, like, his text messages with Anderson. Every person that I talked to on Monday confirmed that it was not like a uh, scandal in, in the, yeah, gosh, we can go to the Pantheon now, like <laughs> recruiting violations slash sexual assault slash like illicit affair from Anderson. Like, no, it was just he grew increasingly frustrated with the situation in Oregon State. Did not think it was possible to win and develop a program there, and he left. And he left a lot of money on the table, which is sort of shame on us because that's what everyone fixated on. Um, I know that we're trained in college football to expect bad things when something unexpected happens. But I guess, Bill, this is just sort of akin to Steve Spurrier looking around a couple years ago and saying, you know what? Can't do it. So I'm out right now. Yeah, I really... I mean, I don't blame him. Like I, I, the way things were taking shape, you know, last year their win total improved a little bit, but they improved a decent amount on paper. They returned some really, some what I thought were pretty interesting pieces. And I thought they could be a legitimate, like top, I'm not going to say like legitimate bowl team or anything, but top 60 level team. I thought they could hit that mark. Um, and it was clear from the second half of the Colorado state game that they probably weren't that. Uh, and it only got worse from there. So yeah. I can, I can see being in a situation where you think, okay, well, here's the chance. I think I've got what I need. I'm pretty sure. And then finding out you're really, really, really wrong. And you're saying, you know what, I, I, this isn't, I'm not the man for this job and, and just cashing in. Well, it's not cashing in. That's a bad analogy. He didn't cash in. Cashing but, out, I guess. Yeah. Cashing out. Yeah. He, he leaves a lot of money on the table. Um, I don't think this speaks ill of him. I just, I mean, it's, it's going to be weird to see how, how this gets like, uh, classified ultimately like what label we put on this if it's like he quit or is oregon state unwinnable it's kind of (laughs) funny bill like i thought about this on monday monday night and then went through all like we did a lot of coverage on this i mean mainly because it's a very interesting development also this is sort of where sb nation can shine um it's going to be a hard job to fill. We'll get to that in a second because that's going to be our PAPN consulting firm because this thing is just tailor-made for me and you. We're all, <laughs> we're all like Oregon State. Oh, we're all over Michigan. Don't know what to tell you. Oregon State, let's talk. I think it's actually worse that there's no scandal. This is the, <laughs> this is the summary I've come to in that when you go out and shop this job as, as a school, I think it's worse that there's that, – you can't say, hey, our coach got a DUI or, or right. you know. It would have worked out if not for his personal failing, yeah. It's really weird to think about it, but I think maybe that now when they go out, because look, I'll say this. I, the, the, it, the news broke about the time that everyone sort of hits the practice field, especially on like the East Coast and the Central Time Zone. So a lot of the coaches I contacted, I didn't hear, I didn't hear back until much later Monday evening. There's a, a lot of respect for this guy. This is not this is not a coach that was considered cutthroat or a journeyman or a profiteer at all. This was a football coach's football coach. Um, I'm just going to be interested to see like how Scott Barnes, the athletic director, goes and talks this job up 
in non-monetary terms to potential candidates when you right. have a guy that was well respected who just said, "You know what? Can't do it. Can't win here. Not going to be pr- not going to be part of of not winning here um and, and just sucking this money up for doing nothing." So, um all right, we've got our consulting firm. All right, mm-hmm. we'll get it we'll get a cool logo, maybe like a watermark on our business cards. All right. What are we doing here? We're going into Scott Barnes' <laughs> office. We haven't made an appointment yet, but here's the deal. That he can pay us like 500 bucks each and we will wow. take care of this for him okay okay um because they're probably going to pay like a million dollars to some yeah like, i was about to say that's a little law firm or whatever. no i'm good i'm good like like give me 500 bucks um uh, yeah, we're, yeah we don't quite uh, charge as much as whatever corn elder or whatever the i know it's not corn yeah. corn corn fairy corn fairy well we also uh, is wasn't corn elder a football player yes yeah nice caught that one um yeah okay all right mr barnes you gotta go contrarian you got to go contrarian in a big way. This is where we yep. shine. I know everyone expects <laughs> us just to say Willie Fritz, two-lane head coach, right? But Willie Fritz, two-lane head coach, not a bad idea. Not a bad not idea a at all, idea. Bill. Because here's – let's talk about the landscape for a second, all right? Yeah. Washington State is undefeated, okay? I had one coach – or I'm sorry, I had one agent tell me, Bill, on Monday night – what you would do with a job like this is become a Texas Tech, except this division already has a Texas Tech and they're undefeated <laughs> right now, which is a really good point. This yeah. is where Oregon State could become like what Texas Tech was in the old Big 12 divisions of like, you know, something different, something that can create a thorn in your side on the schedule. Um, but they, I mean, that that is what Wazoo is now, and they're really good at it. They're peaking. So do you just pivot off of a pivot? You can't go in, I think and this is like a super banal assessment, I think maybe he just wasn't different enough because I don't know if you were ever going to catch up and recruit to the level of your competition in this division. No, I thought I thought he was a good hire initially because I, you know, I just I saw real close what he did with Utah State, and I thought that kind of formula that he used at Utah State, which there was a, a heavy dose of JUCOs, you know, those Utah JUCOs and some of the West Coast JUCOs. Um, you know, they did a lot of that. They taught defense very, very well. Now. He didn't bring Aranda with him from Wisconsin. Uh, that was his first step. He had Aranda at Utah State, and that yeah. was when the breakthrough happened. Uh, he got Kalani Sataki for a year, and then Sataki got the BYU job. Um, so uh, he, I, so part of this, I think, was circumstantial in that he he had kind of a, a decent idea for you know good assistance to bring along, and they didn't stay or or they didn't come a, 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 to begin with. But I thought he'd still be able to craft a pretty good defense and a pretty good running game and, and see where that got him. Um, that maybe that wouldn't have gotten him very far, but we, it, it didn't really happen. Uh, you know, he didn't even get that far with, with the defense in the run game. So yeah, in the end, he didn't do any specific thing well enough or different enough to, uh, to stand out. Now, as far as Washington state goes, you know, we think back to the Big 12 days when, when Leach was peaking at Washington State. Baylor yep. was nothing, yep. and they hired um, a different brand of Leachian offense. They Down in Houston, they went after Art Bryles, and he created his own version of the kind of, you know, trendy whatever offense. And granted, Leach was gone pretty soon after that. Yes. But it still was starting to take root before Leach left. So I think you know there's still room for a really interesting uh, you know offensive attack or whatever if you find the right guy to do it. Now one name I thought about that wasn't on um, the candidates list that you and Richard and whoever else put together. And by the way, I'm still mad at you for not putting Mike Riley's name on that list. We did. Uh, oh, oh, hey, 
Is Mike Riley's name not on the list? This is the part where I don't always I, I don't admit or I admit that I don't always read everything that we write because I write it. Richard was supposed to put Mike Riley on that list. Huh. Well, at the very bottom, it says it's possible to win. Dennis Erickson and Mike Riley did it. That appears to be the only. Okay, well, I'm not mad at you, Richard. If you're listening, I was trying to. I was trying to. That was a good joke on my part. I thought that I'm sure 38,000 other people made, but by God, I came up. Why with Why is it on that a joke? <laughs> well, we're gonna get. I, I mean, here's a, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Right. Yeah, well, right. I mean, it's pretty easy. Like, it's been a while since he's been good, I think, is the main reason that was a joke. He's but, good at Oregon yeah. State. <laughs> I mean. For, yeah, he trailed off, though. He, that was yeah. the whole thing about Nebraska hiring him is, like, this dude's had one good season at Oregon State in five years. But anyway, to, uh, my name that I thought of later, and it wasn't on that list or anything else, uh, Troy Taylor, the offensive coordinator at Utah, former Eastern Washington coach. He's doing very good things at Utah this year, and that was kind of that's a kind of an eye-opening thing for me. I think he might be – interesting and flexible enough to succeed in, in in a variety of ways i find it interesting now that we still look at coordinators because the the search for him seemed to shift away from coordinators more and more well you know? yeah i mean there's there's basically a long time ago at football outsiders i did a uh, kind of I, as as well as possible it's really hard to break coaches into categories since most coaches have been three or four different things but um, I kind of just tried to do a little bit of an analysis of what type of coach is more likely to succeed. <clears throat> and it was basically no type. They're all the same over time, except if you have BCS co- or power conference experience, you're slightly more likely to succeed than the others. So yeah. I do think you start there and work your way down. If there's somebody available uh, that you could get that might be interesting and viable, do it. Uh, but otherwise, you're still going to end up in that, you know, interesting offensive coordinator, interesting defensive coordinator, failed one time higher, et cetera, et cetera. We should mention, by the way, we Mike Leach is a contrarian candidate. That I know that may be tough if you're a younger listener because you look at the Big 12 now as being like wide open air raid contests right. everywhere. That uh, was a very big deal when it happened. Leach, Leach coming in and doing that. He had been the OC at, at Oklahoma, but running that kind of offense was considered – uh, the exception and not the rule once upon a time in the Big 12. Oh, yeah. I mean, now, Massively. obviously, you couldn't tell. But um, I think as far as contrarian goes, it's not just, hey, throw the option at him, like we love to talk about on the show. Although, although, when you look at, like, the, sh- the shot option, spread option stuff that a guy like Fritz does, um, really, I tell you what, it, since let, let's expand our palette, Bill. Okay. It's, it's pieces of what Malzahn did early on at Auburn. All right. It's not just what Fritz does. Like you can see it in other places. You can see it in other programs. Um, It would be interesting because I'm defining Oregon State right now, not by the amount of money they can offer, which is going to be substantial. I mean, they don't have a buyout to pay. Uh, I'm not defining them by the amount of talent that's available in Oregon or, or, you know, the surrounding areas. In fact, you got to go into NorCal and you got to win recruiting battles in, in, uh, in Washington. It's funny, though. Everyone says there's not a lot of talent in Oregon. Scrolling through Washington's recruiting classes uh, for another thing we're talking about in a second, they signed a lot of Oregon kids and they're pretty good. So I mean, I'm not saying it's like California, Texas, Florida, Georgia, or anything, but right. like I mean, it's not that bad. Um, you combine local recruiting with yeah something else, California or Texas yeah, or whatever. Exactly. You kind of go into Las Vegas in, and then you pull JUCOs and like okay. I'm defining this by the fact that I think this is one of the toughest divisions in college football. And I also, on top of that, it's one of it. I think it shapes up to be a tough division for a long time. Stanford is a known 
entity, right? We know what Stanford's going to be. And until David Shaw takes that NFL job that we hear about every December, <laughs> they're, they're going to be good. And you know what? They may be good after that, too. Um, Oregon, tons of money, tons of national attention, rebounding nicely, definitely rebuilding, like not a, a rebuilding relative to Oregon, right? Um, all signs point to Taggart having some sort of like built consistency there within two to three years, right? The defense will get better, we assume. They have a good DC and Levitt. They're going to and have recruited at a top level. And then Washington, right? Like, I mean, one of the things Peterson was lauded for before he took the Washington job was his consistency at a G5. So just those three schools are going to be good for a long time. So you have to operate within that space. You're also going to have to play schools like USC every year. You're going to have to compete against others, you know, a, a much larger swath of schools in recruiting. So this is where the whole be different thing starts. And the other problem with be different, though, is that uh, within your division, you've got running and power and tight ends yeah. with Stanford. You've got, uh, an, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what the final product at Oregon looks like. But um, you, you, we know that they've been very successful with kind of the more run-oriented spread in the past. You've got the most orthodox passing air raid spread in the country in your division. And you've got Washington, which is try, kind of a balance of everything. What do we call Washington? So it's, I tried to figure this out in writing some copy. What do we call Washington's offense? Uh, Washington's offense is kind of a nerd offense. It's just basically about being smart and finding matchups and being flexible and smart enough to take advantage of what you find. That's, that's what I've always kind of, that's what I got when I went to Boise state, you know, for that Boise piece, like that was, I was asking them like, what did you do? That was unique. And aside from using a lot of motion and everything, which a lot of teams do, they're like, I don't know. We just had smart guys that were able to, you know, we were able to craft very specific game plans for our opponents because we could execute it. Well, Washington at um, any so time is going to show multiple formations. I mean, I know all all teams show multiple formations, but it's like shotgun under center, motion shift, jumbo, tight end. Like they they do all the things that every offense does, but they do it in a way where it looks completely different. Like they're not adherent to like we're running all of those things out of the air raid or we're running all of those things out of a pro. Like it's I don't know what you call that. And they throw a lot on standard downs and they run a lot on passing downs. They just they try to keep you off balance. Let's and, call it nerd. Uh, they're good Let's call at it. nerd core. There nerd you go. core. But but yeah, so that's basically and then um you know Cal hired the Central Washington head coach last year um and they're still passing quite a bit. So yeah, you've got pretty much everything already. The only thing you don't have is triple option. Well, I mean, I'm not saying it has to be like Paul Johnson disciple, but I think. Oh, I am. I mean, I think it's not a bad idea. <laughs> um, it's weird though because you see the stigma that's attached to that, and and you know, I thought at the height of Cam Newton at Auburn that option would become less of a dirty word, but it really hasn't. It just really hasn't. Um, I don't know if they're going to go in and hire somebody that's going to be able to sell that. Um, but at the same time, I don't know what other direction you move in in that division that isn't already covered. Also, and just yeah, in terms of brands, I think being different would help that brand. There's nothing particularly sexy about Oregon State at the moment. Well, and I mean, you're going to, up against the most powerful brand. In, you're, like your your in-state rival is yeah. Nike. So, and you're, and you're you still know, Nike school. Yeah, and and so you always it's it's really hard to stand out. I love their I love their orange. You know, I love their colors. I lo- their mascot's really fun, but it's really hard to stand out when when the other school in your state has has far more weight from Nike than you do, or ever will. 
And so it's really, it's a tricky place to be. It's a hard, it's a hard job. That, that's kind of, you know, last week we were talking about UTEP. This is kind of like a UTEP for the Power Five in terms of its isolation, how close it is to talent uh, and everything else. But I don't know. Like, I, I always fi- try to catch myself now when I start thinking about, like, you know, I remember when Vanderbilt hired James Franklin. It was, like, the first year I was writing previews for SB Nation, I think, or second, first or second. And uh, I remember writing something about how, like, man, this just isn't different enough. It's not going to work. You got to be different. You got to get weird. You got to you gotta hire Ken Niamalolo. I think I was saying that even then. Um, and then Franklin turned out to be an awesome coach. So, we you know, if you if you're weighing between like a triple option guy or or Willie Fritz, but you interview somebody who doesn't seem to be amazingly different, or I'm going to do these th- 13 things that are different than everybody else, but you're just floored by him and you think he's an awesome head coach, you know, maybe still go with that guy. I don't know, but uh, you got to line that up an interview with this uh, nameless guy. It's gonna first. be tough. Um, okay, so so our solution here. This is how we earn our five hundred bucks. Is to just we're just gonna say get get real weird, <laughs> like real 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 weird. Um, that's that's it. Okay, I feel like we earned our money. This is podcasting. <laughs> I, I really don't think we did. I don't think we did. Send I think the we, invoice. We it doesn't matter. $15. This is podcasting played up by its college football marriage of numbers and words. That's the robot Bill Connolly. Uh, he invented the S and P Plus analytics system. He's the author of multiple books. Um, I am just a man sitting in a motel room with a sock over a microphone making podcast magic. Um, we didn't solicit for questions this week because we've got a pretty full slate. Um, even before Oregon State gave us the curveball on Monday, we still, um, guess what? We get to stay in the Pac-12 North, just like everybody wanted. Talk about this weird thing with Washington and ESPN. Uh, and then also uh, we'll run down this week's games. We've got a couple email questions. Um, so uh, let's get the Washington thing out of the way. We'll do all of our Pac-12 North coverage, which has really just made this podcast what it is. Um, it's kind of weird. Um, I think that uh, I've I've been in scrums with Peterson before. I've done a one-on-one with Peterson before. Um, he's a quiet guy. Uh, he is a very, uh, I wouldn't say media, anti-media at all. I just think he's not. It, it, it's something that he doesn't want to really wrap his arms around, and he he does the bare minimum on a national level, and that's fine. I, I've, we've talked about this before. Being in Seattle, sort of away from the crazier parts of the college football landscape, I think that appeals to him and his family. I think the program can do everything he wants it to do without having to go out and and be the high-exposure brand. Um, and at the same time, this look, this West Coast kickoff time thing is a, is a much bigger problem than one coach complaining. Um all that being said, I just think it was really weird the way ESPN responded. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't think it's ever necessary if you're yeah. having it. If, if a coach, if a coach pops off to you, um, I, I don't understand why it's necessary to like run a Chiron while he's coaching on the field talking about ratings. It's just, and also this is ESPN in 2017. It's been a bad 18 months of optics for ESPN. And now you're picking a fight with a coach who's <laughs> who, who's overseeing a playoff team contender, and you own the playoff. This is just I, I don't understand the PR of this at all. I will say, um, you know, watch the ratings of future Washington games uh, and see if they tick up a little bit because they might. Obviously, the timing's still going to stink on for for a lot of them. 
But in terms of attention, they've now gotten more of it, technically. Uh, so, you know, there's that angle. I thought the weird thing, like, the Chiron was kind of funny. Like, if it's true that the ratings are good at that time, then that was, I mean, it was still very kind of uh, mean girlish to do it. Yeah. But I still kind of, like, get it. The, the, the eating the cupcakes thing, I understand he does food. Uh, but that was mean. That was like the like the, like they're the only team that uh, doesn't have a good non-conference schedule this year. You yeah, know, that was that was pretty shady. That was the part that, that kind of struck me as the meanest of all of it. It's really weird. Like, I just don't understand why you would you would lean into a perceived bias against your company and also like a kind of a a weak spot for this sport that you really own. Um, well, and the the non conference bit, like focusing on their weak non conference, um, as if they, you know, they're not playing Oregon and Washington State and Stanford in big games this year. Look, they um, signed a deal with a Big Ten school, and we can make the Rutgers jokes. I get that it was signed back when they thought it would be better, and right. I mean, it is. What it, and it was like they probably signed Fresno, and Fresno wasn't terrible right. too. Fresno's usually it's not a, terrible it's, until it's the a last nine game years. conference schedule. It's one of the best. We just got done saying it was one of the best divisions in college football right now. I mean, again, I'm not here to argue that part of it. I just don't understand why ESPN, like, so, and uh, well, let me back up. So there's, there's Herb Street's comments, right? Which I feel like, actually, there's no feel like. I talked to a bunch of people who work for ESPN. That does not, what Kirk Herb Street says does not uh, embody all of ESPN. I think probably knowing ESPN PR pretty well, they were gritting their teeth and wincing a little bit when that happened. Now, programming and the people who orchestrate like the entire college football picture of the scheduling and helping get involved in making these neutral site matchups and like the big sort of Machiavellian thing, I think they were pretty pissed off from what I've been told. They were they were pissed off. Now, if you are it doesn't matter because you're the establishment. You own all these television rights and like <laughs> you run the freaking playoff for a sport. Just shut your mouth. Like it doesn't matter if you're mad. Take it up with Washington behind closed doors. Doing this publicly, I just thought was a really bad move for ESPN. And I, I'm not trying to say that Peterson was right or wrong or UW was right or wrong. Like just don't do it publicly. It was a very strange move. And now, so now you have uh, uh, the birth of all kinds of conspiracy theories, right? It started right away. Now they're going to hold it against Washington. Now Washington's going to be held out right. of the playoff. Like, because ESPN owns the committee. I did enjoy that. That was a fun little – because among other things, you know, Washington made the playoff last year and did so over a much more marketable right. Penn State team. It's not going to change your, your, your chances of getting into the playoff. It's just not. But it, when ESPN does that, you know – not that, I, I don't know. They they probably shouldn't care about the conspiracy theorists, but it was still it opened up the door for the conspiracy theorists to run on through. Also, like before anyone makes a Pac-12 network joke, as far as like the Pac-12 and the in the late kickoff times. The the only years of my professional life that I wasn't a journalist, I worked on I worked in a completely weird different field of entertainment, okay? But what one, one of the things that involved every single week that I worked for this weird job was television ratings. And yes, you can show me something that says what that Chiron said, which is like uh, Pac-12 or uh, games after X amount of X, what, like 8 p.m. Eastern or something are up 33% or whatever it was, right? That's a stat. You can manipulate the, the ratings to say almost anything you want them to. Okay, you know this, Bill, better than any human being on Earth. But you can make numbers you? fit... A narrative. Yes, 
by and large, more people are sitting in front of their televisions as a larger collective audience after a certain time of night in America, okay? Guess what? It doesn't matter at all to a college football program or coach if the television ratings are good. I think that's where people conflate the, the, the issue here. That matters if you're a television program. If you, if you are, if you are a, a, a scripted drama on CVS, you live and die by ratings. When you are a college football program, it doesn't matter. What matters is this. Look at Oregon. Oregon is going to play Stanford at what time this week, Bill? Like, I think it's, I I think it's 10 p.m. Late, I'm assuming. Oregon, yeah. in their first signing class, recruited – I was there. They recruited heavily and signed heavily out of Florida. So when if you're kicking off consistently that late – the schools, the areas that you're recruiting towards your school, especially when you're Oregon, you have to go do that weird national brand thing. You got to go to Texas, you go to Florida, like that hurts you. So whether you whether you see an uptick in the in in some sort of demo or whatever, you know, point rating that that, that matters for ESPN. It does not matter a lick for the programs or the schools or the coaches. They don't care. They want exposure, but it doesn't really matter in the immediate football sense. And I think that 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 got lost in the conversation. No, I've never heard a football coach say, you know what, I need ratings. They don't care. They do not care. They just want to win. And I think that's sort of the ethos of Washington. So for Peterson, I don't think he gives a rip about television ratings. I can tell you he doesn't. What they care about are, hey, you know what, if we did have a Heisman candidate, I mean, I know we can get into the Bryce Love thing. Like how many of those Bryce Love 50-yard runs happened after like 9 p.m. Eastern? (laughs) I mean, I I, I bet half, if not more. Um I think what Peterson wants is a reasonable a reasonable time nationwide for this team to be seen and 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 just in terms of like I think the late night games take a toll. Um it's weird, you know, it's just different because as I say this, you know, LSU is pissed off because they don't get the Auburn game at night. <laughs> because CBS is CBS moved into two thirty central and they're livid. Um so it's a cultural thing. But I do think that ideally Look, man, you're the Pac-12. You could have gone and you could have signed a contract with somebody. You could have had your dominant feed. Like, I know that they split the inventory pretty evenly with Fox now. You could have had Fox as your primary carrier. You could have had, you could have signed a deal with, like, I don't know, somebody, uh, NBC, I guess, who's, like, technically one of our corporate partners. Um, so I'm not saying that for any, like, actual reason. But uh, it, it's just a strange thing for, for us to be talking about in public. And God forbid, Bill. God forbid every like, let's say like you have undefeated Alabama and then four one-loss conference champions. <laughs> I hope Washington makes it. God, I hope Washington makes it because I don't want to hear about this. By the way, on Friday, October twentieth, on NBC Sports Network, Princeton at Harvard. We're gonna give Not a really. detailed preview of that one because we are good company members. Uh, it would be like, I mean, we we're allowed to talk about this kind of stuff. It would be awesome if like our corporate partner had college football. Yeah. Like actual college football. That would be awesome. <laughs> we could we could do all the like we could do all the quick fix access things that ESPN gets to do and like all my ESPN colleagues get to like total humble brag about, you know, like, oh yeah, well we, we had the we had the broadcast meeting with the coaches and the ADs on Friday. So I just came in and sat in on that. I always hear that story from ESPN people. I'm like, yeah, cool. I didn't. Uh well, I don't want to pass judgment on anybody except ESPN for this. And the only judgment, <laughs> I, the only judgment I want to give on ESPN is like, dude, don't, don't just, just settle it behind closed doors. 
Uh, like allegedly, uh, like someone had, someone told me in our company that knows people at ESPN that uh, they had issued talking points and ratings information for people on air to dispute Peterson, which is just ridiculous. It's absolutely terrible. Um, yeah, all you really that. have to say is you made the playoff last year, and if you keep winning, you probably will this year. I mean, I mean, look, I hope to win the national championship now. ESPN <laughs> just has to wrap their arms around them. I think that'd be great. Um, BL. You want to go straight yep. into the schedule? You want to do questions do first? No, let's uh, let's jump into the schedule first. Since uh, well, since we're since we're half an hour in, let's go ahead and start that. All right, we're gonna be slightly abbreviated today due to travel schedules. Um, we're gonna skip Wednesday since you're probably hearing this on Thursday. Hey, it's Thursday, and since Wednesday is South Alabama Troy, which should not be much of a thing. It's Thursday. Yo, there's. I, I don't see the Thursday game. Where's the Thursday game? <laughs> There's Texas State at ULL, and that's it. What's going on, guys? What's on ESPN? Oh, baseball? Baseball? Maybe. They have two They have two Friday games, so maybe that's baseball-related. I don't know. Never make a concession to baseball. Very odd. Um, okay, so, yeah, there's that. Uh, on Friday, your Clemson Tigers go to the Carrier Dome, face the old Syracuse Orangemans at 6 p.m. Central. Then you've got another horrendous <laughs> kickoff time. This is a 10.30 kickoff, Wazoo at California on Friday night. 10.30 Eastern kickoff. Nine th- I was about to say 9.30 God's time. 10, I was going to say 10.30 Eastern, Washington State at Cal. I'm sure Leach will have some thoughts on this. Uh, at least it's Friday. At least they didn't do that on Thursday, I guess, but that's still obnoxious. The funny thing is, I think that there's there, there is a, like a, a conspiracy with putting Cal games late because it's not so much now that they've changed coaches, but dude, there for a while, man, a Sunny Dykes like Saturday night Cal game, it was going to go five and a half hours. Yeah, it, and <laughs> I think it's tapered down a little bit. I haven't watched a ton of Cal this year, but oh my god, it was awful. Uh, I don't have any picks. <laughs> if you skip that entire slate, that's fine. I don't think Clemson's on upset alert at all. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna be fine. Defense travels, right? That's what the 1980s NFL columnist would tell me. Sure, yeah. Um, well, yeah, my only pick is Clemson-Syracuse because I'm going to be awake for about a quarter of Washington State yeah. Cal no matter I mean, what. Is, is there any upset potential there? I, I wouldn't think so. Cal's just uh, recklessly inefficient at the moment. They seem to, you know, they came out kind of firing. They did some interesting things against North Carolina and Ole Miss, and they seem to just run out. Like they... You know, since then they've lost. You know, they lost by ten to USC. Good showing there. By twenty-one to Oregon. By thirty-one to Washington. You know, those were both on the road. So maybe back at home where they did play Ole Miss and USC. Well, maybe there's something to that. But you gotta, you gotta work, is what I'm saying. You gotta work pretty hard to talk yourself into this being interesting. Um, all right, let's move to Saturday. Let's do all the way up until let's say one o'clock. We'll call that our morning slate. SEC Network, BYU at Mississippi State. Eastern Michigan goes to Army at CBS Sports Network. Florida State is at Duke. Um, man, they could lose that game, too. ESPN, too. Kansas at Iowa State. Um, one of them FSN things. Uh, Michigan goes to Indiana. Um, hmm. We'll talk about that in a second. North Carolina State is at Pittsburgh. Um, I don't know. It's like one of those ACC things. Just look it up. Rutgers goes to Illinois. You don't have to watch that. We live in a free country. South Carolina is at Tennessee. I'm actually going to be covering that game. Uh, And then TCU is at Kansas State on FS1. It could be fun. Texas Tech goes to West Virginia on ESPNU. UConn is at Temple. 
Um, that game's on ESPN News. I, I don't know why. ESPN Extra has BC at Louisville. <sighs> and then the 1 o'clock game is UNLV at Air Force on the Mountain West video thing, which I think you just go to their website to see. So, um, yeah, I'm covering the South Carolina-Tennessee game because uh can't wait to see what Tennessee does next. <laughs> um, not going for real football reasons. Uh, Florida State at Duke, interesting. Um, and then Michigan at Indiana. Yeah. Speed is out a couple more weeks. Yes. Sounds right. I think it's, yeah, I think it's a couple weeks. Um, Is this the moment for Tom Allen? Now, obviously Michigan coming off of a loss. Um, Indiana, not as talented, but annoying, salty. Do we have any potential to sell this game as, as an Indiana moment? Yeah, I mean, they're a top 40 team at home. So technically, you know, no matter who you're playing, you only need a few bounces to make it a kind of an interesting game. I do think, you know, we're kind of overreacting to Michigan's failures at the moment. Their offense is problematic. There's no question about it. And it became more problematic with O'Korn. But that defense is still phenomenal and they needed a lot of bad turnovers luck last week to lose to Michigan, to lose to a good Michigan state in a, in a monsoon. So I'm still thinking this is a team that has enough to, to get by just because of the defense, because Indiana doesn't really have a lot of options. They don't have a run game, uh, which is, you know, I guess against Michigan, you probably aren't going to try to run very much anyway, mm-hmm. uh, but their passing game is only semi-efficient. You know, they've got semi cobs and a whole bunch of, I'm not sure what. And so, I'm assuming Michigan's safe here, but again, Indiana's a rock solid team with a really interesting defense, and you know that you don't, you never need too many breaks at that point. I will, by the way, yes, uh, I, I I saw like we all enjoy kind of ganging up on Harbaugh, and he kind of earns it. That's fine, but I did see you know the whole you know if you want to spend a ton of money and never finish better than third in the Big Ten East again, you know da da da. You know that's not. Well, we can't say that yet. We can say yeah, it. We we can say it for fun, but like we can't actually. We can say, say it that for yet. fun. We can absolutely say it for fun. But if you're like serious about how uh, you know you can't time. finish better than third, listen, he was a an overtime spot away from the college football playoff last year. You know, yeah. they beat Ohio State. They're in the in the Big Ten title game. They probably beat Wisconsin. They're in the playoff. Like that's how close it was. And so, with all their issues that they still have offensively, that's that they are they are still right there. And they they weren't going to be there this year. They were replacing too many pieces, and now their quarterbacks hurt. But yeah, if if you let that joke turn into something real about evaluating Michigan, that's probably not the smartest idea in the world. No, definitely not. Um, hmm. So I'm going to be at this game, South Carolina, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, but I can't really say I'm going for any football reasons, which is just a quintessential Godfrey story there. Um, they have made a – Tennessee made a quarterback switch. Um, they essentially have to win this game. South Carolina just drubbed Arkansas at home. They look serviceable. You can't say anything positive about Tennessee right now, as far as as far as the football goes. Um, this is a must-win game. Yeah. Um, actually, I mean, I, I'm parsing my words because this is one of those deals where, like, I'm covering it. I don't want to make any like hot takery, but 
they got to win this game. I'm going because they absolutely have to win this game. I'm going because there's fights in practice that's injuring teammates. They're making quarterback switches. Like, the entire world is falling apart. I want to see who actually shows up to see this game. It's at 11 o'clock. Like, it's all of that. So, I don't have anything football-wise to say. <laughs> um, I don't think the quarterback change is going to matter much at all. I think neither, no, neither, quarterback, I mean, I think was, basically, neither quarterback was prepared going into this year. Um, it's funny, like, we, I even adopted the talking point of, like, well, you know, had they done, uh, had one or two games gone the other way and they had a more, like, definitive run with Dobbs where they, where they won a division, right, or won, like, a better bowl game and something can kind of hang their hat on, it would be okay. But I still, it, it still wouldn't answer why neither one of these quarterbacks looks prepared at all going into this year, right? Right, and I think, um, I mean, at this point, you make the change just because if you've got the option between, uh, you know, a junior who couldn't hit the broadside of a barn against Georgia and a freshman who's a freshman and can at least, you know, grow, uh, then you go with the freshman. But that's the, really the only reason. He's averaging a, a cool 1.6 yards per pass attempt so far this year, including Ooh. sacks. Um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, they basically, they were saying it on the broadcast. They were as nice about it as possible, but basically like against, I think it was UMass. He got a little, uh, playing time too. They were basically just saying, you know, they're, they're begging him to win this job and he hasn't done it yet. This is all, and, I would also bring up, that says a lot. I would bring up Memphis too. Riley Ferguson's comments this week are like, um, it couldn't be worse timing for Tennessee because it bothers a lot of all fans that a transfer out of the program who's now winning football games at Memphis would be that cavalier yeah. about the state of the program. Um, Tennessee's a weird state. Um, and <laughs> I mean, weird in that the UT, the UT sort of culture struggles to maintain a dominant identity in Memphis and West Tennessee because they're far, far away. So um, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, I'm just, I'm just going to go to see Tennessee if anything fans. blows up. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, thank you to Tennessee fans for entertaining me on Saturday morning. Um, I'm not going to say I was trolling necessarily because I, I really wasn't, uh, but it kind of served that role. Um, so Saturday morning we were uh, talking about, I don't even remember who I was talking about with this with on Twitter. But it was basically a point that the way I talked about Clemson last week in a piece I wrote, how they get up two touchdowns and then they basically just put in into cruise control until you prove you can challenge them and then they'll you know start trying to do stuff again. Uh, I, I I came to realize that the, all the ways that I was describing Swinney and Clemson, it, it's how I describe Butch Jones in Tennessee, like uh, at, at different points in time over the last couple of years too. The difference, of course, being that Clemson uh, is good at it. Uh, didn't clam up when the other team did make a charge. They actually went about making the right plays. But I basically said, you know, there there isn't, uh, you know, that th- that's when he's basically just a better version, uh, a better, more successful version of Butch Jones in in the what he in what he does. Piss Clemson fans off a little bit, probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Piss Tennessee fans off a lot <laughs> because uh, the, basically the way it all went down when I just got into my little uh, a hole contrarian mode and apologies for that. Um, it basically came across like I was kind of defending Butch a little bit, and I, I I guess I sort of was, but not really. I mean. How many mean words have I said about him on this uh, podcast and on in, in written form? Like the meanest thing I've ever written after a after a game was OU Tennessee in 2015. Mm. Uh, and so, like, I think I my, my feelings about uh, his ability to win those games, I think it's pretty clear at this point. 
But it really is like he, that doesn't change the fact that he's a couple of good bounces away from winning the East that year and a couple more good bounces away from going freaking undefeated in 2015 with that with, while doing all the same little silly clammed up stuff he did. All he needed was like, like an extra bounce per game of the football and it all works out for him anyway. And it's just crazy to think about those margins uh, in college football. Let's move to the afternoon. Akron goes to Western Michigan, CBS Sports yeah. Network. Your CBS game is Auburn at LSU. Uh, FS1 has Baylor going to Okie State. Georgia Tech is at Miami on ABC. Northwestern is at Maryland on the Deuce. Remember when people used to say the Deuce? Uh, Oklahoma, yeah. Red River moves to 2.30 on ESPN. Yeah, this they, they needed that game at 11 for this. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. That's weird. Yeah. Very strange. This is ESPN. I thought Red River was on Fox this year. I don't know. Purdue's at Wisconsin on BTN. Uh, Vanderbilt goes to Ole Miss on the SEC Network. Virginia's at North Carolina on, I don't know, the ACC's TV deal is weird. Navy's at Memphis at 245 on ESPNU. Colorado goes to Oregon State at 3 p.m. Interesting to watch that game, I guess, for a minute. Um, and then Houston goes to Tulsa on ESPN. I like the ESPN News carries games. I think that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> Middle Tennessee State is at UAB on BN Video. If you, that's a 530. If you watch so. the men's national team lose last night, then you were watching BN. Um, and then we'll cut it off for six. Um, yeah. uh, good good games uh, on all the, the big anchor spots for the 230 slot. So um, yeah. I, I, I'm really trying – I hear everyone making fun of me on Twitter for just, like, becoming a weird – like, I was contrarian to contrarian to contrarian to come back and be an SEC homer this year in terms of like, attention. <laughs> um, but, so I won't try – I won't dwell on Auburn LSU too much. Uh, Baylor at Oklahoma State is a game. Um, <laughs> it, it is a game that, for my own writing, selfish purposes, I really want OSU to win. Uh, Bill, but I'll get into that next week. Bill has some content coming up on one of those schools. It's not Baylor. <laughs> not saying which one. Um, yeah. Georgia Tech at Miami. Yeah. Let's let's plant a flag there. Let's, let's yeah. sell that in the wake of other, other games. Yeah, obviously Red River is Red River, but Georgia Tech, Miami, and we mentioned this a little on the Sunday show. Um, Miami, uh, uh, you know, and actually I think we've talked about this two straight shows, but Miami losing to Florida State has defined Miami's season for almost a decade and uh, how the hell do you respond when you get that monkey off your back? Because not only did you get it off your back and now you got to refocus and because, and, holy crap, now you've got big goals on the table, you got to play Georgia Tech. Uh, I mean, that just screams uh, kind of a landmine situation, especially because Georgia Tech's good. This isn't just, I mean, it's one thing to play an option team uh, after a big rivalry game. It's another to play an option team that will beat you. And so um, that's a really, really tricky game, and I'm very curious how Miami responds. Um, Okay, let's, uh, so, okay, Red River's happening. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, Oklahoma lost. Texas won. I expect I expect a very good game from Texas. I think that's the biggest thing I'm interested in here is you know can he keep up the whole uh, I know like, bringing I, it I, for the big I, games. Though. I feel like Tom was watching that Oklahoma game, being like, no, no, <laughs> no, no. Now we're not gonna win. Yeah, no. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know much. I don't know how, how how much more you can say outside of of, of that narrative on it. Um, okay, so yeah, Auburn and LSU is gonna be a really good game. Um, <laughs> Dave Aranda, earn your money. Yeah, Auburn's Matt Canada figure out something to do against Kevin Steele. Yeah, and that is going to be. I mean, LSU's issues this year. I mean, I know they have some occasional procedural issues and everything. They're still efficient as hell running the ball, and Auburn. Yeah. 
you know, when it's when they're clicking, they don't really let you do anything. But if anything, they're going to lean more towards the big play prevention side than the efficiency side. And I think so. I think LSU will be able to run the ball, but it does set up a situation where field position and finishing drives ends up meaning a ton. You know, in last week's LSU Florida game, neither team won field position. They were both pinned back the whole game. So they were, you know, basically getting two first downs and punting most of the afternoon. Uh, and, and maybe you see the same situation here. But, yeah, I'm, uh, the, the dynamics here from a tactical standpoint, and then, of course, it's, it's Auburn LSU, uh, and it's, you know, is Malzahn for real? Is Ken Edo win a big game finally as, as a full-time head coach anyway? Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on here. It's also hard to figure out. Now we're starting to look at Auburn's resume to this point where yeah. a lot of grumpy fans after the Clemson loss, Mercer's a turnover-played game. Then they go and they stomp three bad teams. Um, it, now those are conference teams, so credit where credit's due. Right, and Mississippi State might still be not terrible. I'm not. I don't know though. <laughs> they have something to prove. I feel like they should yeah. be fine against BYU, and then I don't know yes. after that. Um, this is the best defense they've seen that isn't Clemson. Um, I mean, if, as far right, as the, right, yeah. the games they've won, like you just throw Clemson out because then Clemson's a better football team. It's kind of funny. Like that 14 to six against Clemson doesn't look bad at all now. Um, I was still very confused. Like everybody wrote Auburn off after that. Like what, really what, did. why? It was Clemson. Very much so. Like very much in the talk radio, Twitter. Like it was, it was like they're done. He's out. Hot seat. Derp, derp. Like um, this is a challenge. I mean, just to look at it from the Auburn context, you win this game and you win it. Uh, with a little space, um, you look really good because then you're going into an Arkansas team that's got some serious problems, and then you've got a bye before Texas A&M. And, I mean, it really just backloads into a schedule of, like, you could be one loss going into a November stretch of Georgia, ULM, uh, Alabama. So basically, like, really good team, bye, really good team, you know? What a weird schedule, though. Like, three straight road games and then three straight home games to – three straight road games against desperate teams and then – uh, two big home games against really, really good teams that could go in so many different directions. Well, it's, yeah, it's funny that you, that you you put in the the context of desperate teams when you on the road because like I'm I'm not trying to make a competition of like who needs it more or whatever. They all I mean these are must win games for programs that probably aren't as good as Auburn right now. Three weeks or three games in a row. So I don't know. A and M may be broken by then. I don't. I, I mean Arkansas. I don't know. I'm, I still think A and M's not. I think A and M's going to finish seven, and, like eight and four, and and just right. complicate the entire problem. Uh, my pick for the afternoon slate is going to be. I'm going to go to Georgia Tech Miami. Um, I yeah. haven't, you know, outside of the Tennessee game, I haven't really had a chance to watch Tech. I don't think I've watched a stitch of Miami this year, just by virtue of scheduling and other stuff going on, other games. So. Um, no, their defense is a lot of fun. Their offense is a work in progress, we'll say. Um, but it's been good. Teams that don't have Florida State's defense, anyway. I would like to, uh, I would like for Miami to win a little bit longer, so Florida State fans can say that they aren't actually back because they haven't played anybody. I've enjoyed, I really enjoyed <laughs> that. It's been super weird. Uh, um, I love you, Knowles. I love you to death. CBS Sports Network, six p.m. Eastern Carolina goes to UCF. That'll be a bloodbath. Texas A&M goes to Florida on uh, ESPN two. Arkansas goes to Alabama for a blood offering uh, at 6.15 on ESPN. Cincinnati's at South Florida at 6.30 on ESPNU. Missouri's at Georgia, um, 6.30. Yep. Congrats, congrats on good. not having to go to a home game. Um, Ohio State's at Nebraska at 6.30. Um, yeah, FS1. That could get, like, really, really bad. 
Um, Michigan State is at Minnesota at 7 p.m. Utah is at uh, USC. That'll be a good game. 7 p.m. ABC. Getting some attention there. UCLA is at Arizona at 8 p.m. on the Pac-12 network. And then I guess we should stop there for the nightcaps. Yeah, uh, yeah it's not great. Um, There's one yeah, good game. It's not great. Uh, enjoy this. Enjoy Saturday evening with your friends and family. Um, Michigan State, Minnesota could end up competitive at least and interesting in that regard, although there's not just a whole lot of narrative yeah. going on there. But, yeah, you're looking at U- – I mean, Utah-USC almost has to be the pick. The, the rest of the games are – I mean, and in Florida, there's some, you know, stuff going on there too. But, I mean, number one, I'm not going to watch that game out of protest of those ridiculous Florida uniforms. Ugh. But, um, yeah, no, this is – there's some – there, there's some there's some whoopings happening on Saturday evening. I will, though. I, I, I stuck up for them last week. I'll do it again. Utah is a far more interesting. Utah is not just Utah, the team we think we've uh, gotten to know through the years. They're much more interesting than that, even with um, – let me see if I can find their their quarterback situation at the moment. They are still their top 15 in uh, efficiency and in success rate on both offense and defense. And – they're just interesting. Tyler Huntley is uh, questionable for Saturday against USC, but Troy Williams is still pretty decent as a backup. And, I mean, they got Darren Carrington, the Oregon transfer. Uh, they've got uh, kind of the semi-reliable run game, not a lot of big plays, but grinding. But they can pass a little bit. Their defense is still very solid. This is exactly the kind of team that has been giving USC problems this year. Uh, USC has been getting past those problems. Uh, you know, with a with a late surge and whatnot, but I mean, yeah, I, I th- this is the one chance that we have for the Pac-12 South to end up being a race. If USC wins it, then they basically already clinched. I think it's pretty much over. Um, yeah, this is uh, I, I don't have a lot of stuff to. Um, oh, here's something interesting I can add. Um, okay, <laughs> USC injury report: tackle Chuma Adoga Adoga out. Uh, tight end Daniel Imator, baby, questionable. Uh, Damon Johnson, long snapper, questionable. Uh, Rashawn Green, or Rasheem Green, defensive tackle, questionable. Defensive tackle Malik Dorton, questionable. Five other guys, questionable. Another couple of guys, doubtful. Uh, so apparently USC's first string is injured, and that could mean something. So we'll see. Really trying to sell this game. Um, <laughs> I guess. What if Arkansas is actually bad? And not yeah, like no, a, this I, is the wrong week to figure that out. But like, what if they're actually bad? They might. They might be. You haven't heard me like a couple of years ago when they were ranking real high in my ratings, and I watched them just destroy a bunch of teams and then lose a bunch of close games. I had a nice spiel for defending Arkansas and saying they were much better than the record. I don't have that spiel this year. They don't. What changed to you? Well, they just a their defense uh, in 2014. Their defense was legitimately good, and it's gotten worse every year since then. Uh, they just don't really have a personality defensively. They don't have just a ton to offer. They don't make any disruptive plays. Yeah. Um, they're just they're just there defensively, and that's a little bit of a problem. And then just you know sort they, of how they, you would describe their offense the last couple. Yeah, of years. their they're offense there. has it's still efficient. They've got Whaley, who's decent. They've got a, a bunch of running backs for that matter who are decent. They kind of look like they they look Arkansas ish. But their passing game isn't as good as I thought. I mean, I guess they do. They did have to replace quite a few receivers, so that's not that surprising. But they just, yeah, they just don't. They don't make plays. They they're efficient with no big play potential, and on defense, they are a big mush of non personality. So most of these games uh, are like double digit leads within five minutes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, Georgia, Missouri, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Ohio State, Ohio Nebraska. State Nebraska. Yeah. 
you know, that's kind of, uh, uh, you know, Riley's last stand. Maybe the crowd gets into it if they get a couple bounces early. But Ohio State has been on a freaking warpath of late. Yep. And uh, it might not matter. Under-recognized Ohio State, always better than over-recognized Ohio State. Always, right. always. Give Urban Meyer one loss, and you've basically given him, like, total power. Now I can relax. It's so <laughs> weird. Um, all right, let's move into the nightcap. Um uh, you know, it's a decent drunk, I guess. Yeah. Um, 8 p.m., UCLA goes to Arizona on Pac-12 Network. 9 p.m., New Mexico's at Fresno State on Mountain West Video. Nevada goes to Colorado State on ESPN2. Boise State is at San Diego State on CBS Sports Network. Washington is at Arizona State at 9.45. And then at 10 p.m. on FS1, uh, Oregon goes to Stanford. 10 p.m. Central Time. So 11 Eastern. Oh my God, it'll Eastern. be midnight Eastern, and the game will be going into the second quarter. So stupid. Um, well, uh, this is kind of not, not to tie it back into the earlier segments <laughs> of the show, but this is what really plagues the Pac-12. Um, but, uh, why not just UCLA and Arizona? Yeah, I know. I know it's a Pac-12 network game, which limits dramatically who gets to see that. But if you swap the kick times with Oregon Stanford, it just makes so much more sense. Yeah, FS1, let's see. I don't FS1, know. Maybe maybe you just blame FS1. FS1 has a, a game. Yeah, they have a six thirty game. That's Ohio State Nebraska. Ohio State. I guess yeah. Fox doesn't have a game on Saturday evening. Um, so that that is so for that's, baseball. Yeah, that causes a little bit of a log jam there. But yeah, you'd almost hope that you'd almost want to put Oregon Stanford on Pac twelve just to balance out the two freaking hour difference there. Yeah, God, that no, that's a, that's really really bad. I of these games since you know, well, hell, I was gonna say Boise State, San Diego State. That's only a half an hour earlier than Oregon Stanford. But I have been asked a lot about San Diego State of late because my numbers kind of hate San Diego State, even though they're undefeated. Uh, and I'm really, it's kind of a put up or shut up game for both Boise State and my numbers and the way they view Boise State and San Diego State. Because um, basically, they have this game as a straight up toss up, even though it's in San Diego. Uh, so real quickly for the San Diego State fans, who, who by the way, pretty chesty fan base. I'm not going to lie. Uh, they are really? the, the ones that are there really kind of like the man ball that they play and are, are willing to, to, te- to challenge your manhood for doubting them. But uh, so right now, San Diego State in efficiency and success rate, they rank 113th on offense. They have one of the worst success rates in the country. They are 111th rushing success rate and then uh, 82nd in passing success rate. Passing success rate doesn't matter all that much because they don't pass. Uh, they are just basically, we're, we got three downs to try to break a really, really long Rashad Penny run. And it happens enough that they've managed to beat Stanford. They've managed to beat Arizona State. They've beaten, they won at Arizona State and Air Force. They beat a good Northern Illinois team. They were lucky as hell to beat Northern Illinois, but they did. So they're in a really weird spot here. Like this isn't, you know, because they run a lot, because Rashad Penny's, you know, already got almost 1,000 yards, it's kind of like, well, same old, same old from San Diego State, but it's not. They are all, like, if they don't get a big run play, they don't move the ball. And um, it's a weird team. Boise State, meanwhile, can't run the ball and, and has kind of stopped trying to a certain degree. But they still have, a, I think, what is a, a decent enough defense. They prevent big plays really well. And if, they, if you don't give up 50-yard runs to Penny, then you probably aren't giving up many points. So, yeah, kind of put up or shut up for the way my numbers view San Diego State and for Boise State being a viable team this year. 
Okay. So you hate San Diego State. Got it. Pretty much. Um, yeah. on the, uh, I am not a man. <laughs> on the cleanup side, a uh, couple QC games to pay attention to, I guess. Uh, ESPN3 slash Facebook video. Um, you have UTSA at North Texas, which is a good QC game, and that will be on ESPN3, it looks like. And then Stadium, which is usually accessible. You can go to Stadium site and or Facebook. That's UTEP at Southern Miss. Those are both at 6 p.m. Central. Um, that's pretty much everything we missed. Um, UTSA at North Texas is on ESPN3. They can't even get that on TV. It's kind of odd that CUSA wouldn't sign like a some – I don't know. I guess I guess Facebook is the wave of the future. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I don't even – I just don't even have the energy to, to create a take on that at the moment. Um, a lot of broadcast rights conversations in the middle of the season. That's kind of gross. Yeah. Not what I wanted. Um, okay. Um, not a great week. We did it again. No. <laughs> not good. Feel like feel like we've had really like five not great weeks, four four not great weeks. But we still had Troy over LSU. We still had Iowa State over Oklahoma. This is where college football's law of averages works out in our favor. There are just so many games yeah. that you're going to get some really good ones that are fun to watch. But yeah, in terms of anticipation and all that, we just have to wait and see which ones are good because it, not a whole hell of a lot's jumping out right there. No, not at all. Is there a single Um, ranked versus ranked game this week? Since Georgia Tech should be ranked but isn't, I am not. I'm not seeing it. Seeing it. Yeah, God. Awesome. That's weird. It's happening again. It was last week as well. But we're just loading up for November. That's no. We had we only had one last week. That's what it was, right? It was uh, TCU and. Uh, there, there was a second too, but it wasn't. It was like teens versus twenties or something like that. I don't really track this stuff by ranked, obviously. Like, I think if you listen to the show, you don't really track stuff by rankings. But still, that's it's notable. I don't know who to blame for that, if there's anyone, if you should blame them. But uh, <laughs> uh, all right, Bill, uh, questions, we, and then we got to go. Yeah, we got uh, a little, uh, a new little uh, burst of questions to the emails there. So let's hop in to uh, this is our friend Alex, PAPN TCU question. Okay. As a TCU fan, should I be worried about our ridiculous deficiency with regards to giving up big plays? Uh, and he's, he references, uh, does my heart well, he references my defensive isolated points per play. Uh, behind every category, like 60, 80 ranks, he says, we've seemingly been able to contain some explosive folks to at least a decent degree, like OSU and West Virginia, and we're doing a, dec- a good job of keeping people from being successful, 25th in defensive success rate. OU and Tech stand out in my mind as possibly being able to fully exploit that against us, but those games are a bit down the road. Uh, Can I answer yeah, this one? The, go for it. Isn't it just because you just you've been playing a lot of explosive teams? That hasn't helped. Yeah, like they they they, they rendered OSU very uh, more inefficient than normal, but they still gave up an eighty-six yard pass. No, I mean this is. But isn't this is kind of the doing business thing. against those kind of teams? Isn't that just sort of like, obviously, look, well, you don't want to do that, but maybe that's the cost of business against those choice. offenses. It's a choice against those teams that you either sell out to make big stops and maybe give up a couple big plays or do the opposite yeah. and, you know, dink and dunk and, and all that, but don't give up big plays. Uh, TCU has always been a little bit on the aggressive side in that regard. And so basically what you've got is a really efficient defense. They are 25th in success rate. And when they give up a successful play, it's it's huge. That's not – you instead of 25th and 122nd you'd prefer like 5th and 100th 
But regardless, I think it's something they can live with, especially when you are top 20 in offensive uh, efficiency as well. So this is, yeah, they're a good time. I mean, you should, they should absolutely be worried about playing Kansas State and at Iowa State and, and at Oklahoma and at Texas Tech because, holy crap, that's a load of road games right there. But that specific thing, them giving up big plays, isn't necessarily why they should be concerned about all those teams. Always interesting to watch an established coach at like a like a long a long-term coach at a program have a lull and then recover completely from it. We don't really tolerate that much anymore and that looks to be what TCU's done. Yep. Carl Strength, our friend Carl, it sends us a bunch of questions and they're usually pretty good. Uh and they're usually about the Sun Belt. This one's about Georgia Southern. Uh hey Billy Godfrey just noticed that Georgia Southern has a 7% chance at going 0 and 12 this season per my stat profiles. Uh, if I'm reading it right, then they also have a greater than 63% chance at winning two or fewer games, so probably a double digit loss season. How quickly can a Sun Belt team with a history of winning football recover from a hire that at best just didn't fit the culture and at worst is one of the worst hires in recent memory? Is this one of the worst possible out? Is this the worst possible outcome that Southern fans feared when they went to FBS? Can one bet hire lead a university to retreat back to the FCS division? They got to fire him first. Well, right. They they got to fire him. Um, The good news for Georgia Southern here is if – you know, it's not a situation where, oh, my God, recruiting's falling apart. We're never going to catch back up to Arkansas State. You know, like right. the, the, the range of recruiting within the Sun Belt is not so much that it's, it's all going to fall apart and they're never going to come back. They just they, they need to nail the next hire because that's what you have to do to rebound from bombing a freaking hire like this one. It's a it's a bomb that could have like, a, you know, like a new kits. And then they have like the waves of radiation that like sweep over the land for a while. Um, it's not just the impact. It's also it's also the, the the radiation on this one because if you fire Summers and there's a substantial amount of people in Statesboro who do, he is the son of a of a high school coach in Georgia. He is very connected with high schools in Georgia. Um, it will reverberate. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I, I mean, I definitely think it, it, this is not going to work out. Um, I'm just interested to see how Georgia Southern can maintain relationships after this. It was a bad hire from jump. It just was. Um, he wasn't ready. The program didn't need to move in that kind of direction. I think also they just grossly underestimated what life was going to be like uh, as a as a FBS program. Um, they were blessed early on, you know. They were really yeah. The team that beat Florida wasn't particularly good by their standards. Right, no, they they were down that year. Fritz was a really good coach, caught caught a lot of personnel the right way at the right time, but also they didn't invest, they didn't put enough money in, and they didn't look at growth opportunities for keeping a guy like Fritz or at least keeping the right kind of pipeline going, and it caught up with them. Yeah, and I mean, Summers from the very start, you know, because it is kind of married to option football and all that, but from the very start, he was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, option. That's, yeah, we'll we'll definitely keep doing that. Uh, and, and didn't really ever seem all that married to the idea. But, Every time they stray uh, away, they pay for it in history. Right. So, so we got an email about Oregon State, which I'm going to hope that we addressed earlier. And so the last email we will cover from our friend Jeff Mitchell, uh, Bill and Godfrey. Quote, repeat after me, PAPN prepared you for this moment, unquote. That is what I keep reciting as I rationalize BYU's one and five start to the season. Uh, the, the subject line of this email was the PAPN therapy for sudden program decline. 
Uh, that angst is high in Provo as BYU stares down a projected five and eight final record based on the latest study hall numbers. I love all these, you know, study people quoting study hall numbers to me. That's 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 lovely, and potentially the first non-bowl season since 2004. Still, there are a number of factors which I deem part of the PAP and lexicon, uh, which either provide me some perspective or are like salt in the wound. Please tell me where I should or shouldn't have concern. And he, this is bullet points email right here, so we're gonna go one by one. Number one, Glenn Mason Territory. Bronco Mendenhall steered BYU to a bowl in all his 11 seasons, but gained a Polini-type stigma with many fans for averaging a 9-4 and record, painfully punctuated by being denied his 100th win in his final game against Utah, final record 99-43, and hadn't thought about that, uh, and never getting, quote, over the hump to a BCS game. Some media and alumni were also turned off by him, but, but administration and maybe the minority of fans loved his approach to the brand, so the departure to UVA was amicable, juxtaposed UVA's 4-1 and record with ours, and you now have some understandable frustration. So uh, in response to that one, I will just say that, yeah, that's, I think, you know, I've really tried to, for lack of a better term, learn coaching in the last year and talk to as many coaches as possible and, and, under, and understand that side of how the game works from a coaching perspective. And, you know, number one, the difference between a really good coach and a really bad one isn't that big. Uh, you're, you're doing like 85% of the same things and it's really kind of hard. And so, and, and then, you know, number two, as we, we've said a million times, coach hiring a new coach is such an absolute crapshoot when you've got, even when you've got a ton of money that it really does, it is really crystallized to me that if you've got a pretty good coach, a Ruffin McNeil at East, at East Carolina, a, a Ooh, Bronco Mendenhall, huh? That's a, that's a good example. A, a Bronco, Bronco Mendenhall at BYU. At some point, like fans will get tired of, of only winning X number of games, seven, eight, whatever it is, nine, I guess, in BYU's case, and uh, never getting a quote over the hump. But hiring is such a crapshoot that it really, I think, at that point, it becomes it's, it's on the athletic director to figure out what the coach doesn't have and give him it, that. Whether that's, an, whether that's more money for assistance, whether that's a better practice facility, whatever it is, and in BYU's case, I'm not immediately sure what it is. Uh, it's just a weird independent arrangement at the moment. But it's really up to the athletic director to find that thing and, and, get, him, and get him to stay. Don't push him out for a, another coach. Not that that's what happened in this case. But it really does. I think it's on the AD at that point to figure out how your good coach can win more games. Uh, and you don't just start over because you get, as we've said many times, you, you, you get Tim Brewster uh, almost all the time in that situation. Um, I'm going to skip because I just used a lot of our minutes on that one section. I'm going to plow through the rest. He mentions recruiting, how Utah's flipped uh, a couple of recruits, uh, BYU recruits recently, because that's what happens in this situation. Yep. Uh, returning production, he mentions, because they just lost Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams uh, to the NFL. And uh, as he put it, that masked a lot of deficiencies from year one uh, because yeah. they, they were good. I uh, mentioned turnover uh, fortune. It was somewhere near top 10 last year and darn near the bottom of FBS. I love that a BYU fa- uh, fan used the word darn. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, so then that leaves... The true year zero, as he puts it, bringing in Kalani Sataki, Ty Detmer, Ed Lamb, and a bevy of alumni coaches energized the fan base in Broncos' departure, so short-term rewards were high for Tom Holmo. 
Uh, now, depending on who you believe, any one of them can or should be canned. Is this his true year zero? Should Kalani have anchored himself with more experience coaching? Should we have expected less from Ty's high school coaching experience? Yes. Yeah. I was very yeah. concerned about him hiring a high school offensive coordinator just because of his name. Yeah. Uh, so should they have cast the coaching net wider beyond the alumni base? Sataki has tremendous charisma and clout with the Polynesian yes. community, yielding big recruiting wins. But then again, uh, now he's struggling in recruiting. So the, so they, they made a hire through all the parameters, each parameter of which is criticized by the outside, the people outside of the community um, of the LDS church and of BYU. So we, they made a hire that follows all the things that people have always raised questions about. And also, I would like to say, they did play a tough schedule, right? Yeah. But... I don't know. This almost feels reductive to me. Yes. The answer the, the answer to everything is yes. <laughs> yes. This is, I mean, we, year zero is a very convenient narrative. I use it a lot, but if you inherit a super experienced team from, or, uh, you know, too deep from a good team the year before, yeah. and then you lose all those guys and then you have to start over. Yeah. You could certainly make a case for this being kind of his year one. I think he proved last year that he can coach, you know, they, they were pretty good last year. Uh, but they they experience turnover in a lot of places, yep. and uh, basically in all of those instances of turnover, they are not just a little worse; they are much worse. So also, yeah, I you, would say you beat Portland State, and then you essentially opened your season with LSU, Utah, Wisconsin. I know that they're smarting from Utah State because Utah State had a down year down year last year, and they think yeah. they view themselves to be better than that. Yeah. And then, I mean, Boise's a good program, so. I think if it's these probably, losses have come at home, probably even hurts a little bit more. I think that, yeah, I, I think that there's probably the dread is really set in after they came off that bye and lost two straight. But here's the deal. They're going to go to state this week in Starkville. They're probably going to lose that game. It gets better for, I mean, for, for what this we now see to be a, a rebuilding phase for BYU. And they haven't changed anything, so I don't expect a lot to change with them. I'm not predicting, like, you know, Sataki's going to turn them into this powerhouse independent that's going to attract a major conference and no like i just i don't believe that's going to happen but uh east carolina so after mississippi state at east carolina home for san jose at fresno at unlv umass before they go to hawaii every game other than hawaii i would pick them to win outright yeah from a projection standpoint i mean my numbers are very down on byu at the moment but they're still favored in four of those six games well, they can uh, finish they the year on a huge win streak yeah, and, and and try and regain a little sanity here. I mean, I don't know. It, this is this is the the Ouroboros, right? The the snake eating. I mean, you have to schedule these insane tasks because you're an independent, and that means you get them at the beginning of the year because that's yes, you're an independent them. because of a lot of things that we're not going to get into in a quick segment, and this is going to continue to happen. So. If this is going to be the norm where where you're trading punches with really good FBS Power 5 programs for a month and a half, and then you finish off with, like, San Jose Mountain West scrubs, yeah. yeah, like, then you kind of have to expect this to happen. Um, I think had they split with Utah State and Boise yeah. State, there wouldn't be as much, uh, you know, dread around the program. Yeah, no, right I think now, the Utah so. State game especially was the one that was kind of a breaking point to a degree. All right, we're going to end up like there's one more section to this big email and that's what, how we'll finish the show. Um, his last bullet point is brand identity slash existential crisis. Uh, oh, man. Perhaps the factor that concerns me the most, but maybe it shouldn't. The sustainability of independence is debatable. AD Tom Holmo has done just about as well as anyone could realistically hope with scheduling. That's very true. Uh, we are terrible and on national 
national TV every week, <laughs> but the ESPN deal is up soon. So can BYU afford to vacillate between good and bad against good teams in September and October? It seems like you guys often say this would be a good time for Team X to be good, uh, but no P5 conferences are walking through that door. Uh, nope. So yet most of them consider BYU, quote, P- P5 equivalents. So going back to a non-P5 schedule just to play for a championship would seem foolish. Uh, does BYU strategically wander in limbo until grants of, grant of rights expire? Will political pressures to which BYU will never yield uh, eventually force an administrative decision to discontinue NCAA athletics? No. Sounds okay, crazy, but on. it's already happened at BYU-Idaho and BYU-Hawaii for other reasons. No. Um, if you draw 60,000 to home games, you're not dropping football. Yep. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. Calm down. Um, <laughs> who said they were P5 quality? Huh? That's uh, he mentioned. He P5 just casually mentioned because we we had that thing about like LSU scheduling them and all that because they were uh, quote unquote okay. P5 yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Um, uh, yeah. You have every single point he makes. We're just answering. He's answered all of his questions. Yeah, he's he just, just really check just his homework. Out here. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Uh, everything that you said is is a problem. It's a huge problem. I don't think that you should worry too much about the ESPN deal because someone's going to renew. BYU does weird things in ratings because they're so consistent and networks like that because of the fan base and the national appeal. Independence does not work. Independence does not work. There are two teams right now that can make it work, and one won't make it work if, they're, if they continue to be good. There's Notre Dame and there's Army. And the only reason it works for Army right now is that they were so deficient that they had to basically – like kind of schedule an FCS schedule for a while, all right? And now as they improve, they're going to need to step it up a little bit in the future. I wouldn't be shocked if they looked at a conference, if, if Munkin keeps everything consistent, and they're a bowl team. They're, they're going to be a bowl team again this year based on the schedule. They bowl team next year. Then you start looking at taking the next step. Which is, I guess, and then there's USA Notre Dame or AAC. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Conference USA, maybe AAC. I don't think they're at an AAC talent level yet. No, if they join the AAC this year, they'd get stomped. Yeah, um, and they know that, which is why they wanted to maintain independence while they completely overhauled this thing. I mean, Army believes that they can be Navy, and if you have someone who does pretty much everything the same thing that Nia Matanolo does, there's no reason why they can't if they work at it. But I'm talking about a service academy and Notre Dame. You are not a service academy, and dude, you are not Notre Dame. I like I, I love BYU fans. I like writing about BYU. I like the I like all the unique aspects of what they bring to the culture of college football. Get over it. You're not Notre Dame. You're not. I and if would you, if you not continue to impose this stuff on yourself that prevents any conference from wanting to work with you. This is what is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, really, if you're, if you're thinking about ending independence now, you're thinking about going back to Mount West. I think that's your only, yes. obviously, oh, your only answer. But I, a quick counterpoint. Matt is not going to do business with you right now. No, 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 not at all. Um, yeah, quick counterpoint, and then you need to get on a plane. Technically, they can maintain independence as long as they want, as long as they're okay with, you know, just having their bowls arranged beforehand, assuming they get, you know, bowl eligible. Yeah. And having exactly this, a bunch of potentially discouraging losses early and a bunch of easy wins late. I mean, they've they, they've established this so they can keep it going in perpetuity if they want to. It's just, you know, at some point you got to decide if, is, if this what you want, because maybe if the, everything breaks right at the end of grant of rights here in like 10 more years, maybe you can play your hand 
and better or there's more options or whatever. I, we're not going to pretend to know everything that's going to happen in 10 years. But in the meantime, just you can contact Mountain West. You can see if they're interested. Otherwise, this is what you've created for yourself. A lot of early P5 games, a lot of late terrible games, uh, and, you know, Las Vegas Bowl. And if that's okay, you know, you're, you're, you're got, you got interesting teams coming to your home stadium. You're on national TV a lot. You're recruiting. Okay. I think long-term Sataki would probably be okay. He needs to probably make a better offensive co- uh, coordinator hire. Um, I, it's just, it is sustainable because they're sustaining it. It's just a question of whether they should want to. No, or not. I, they can sustain being BYU forever. That's not what they're trying to do though. They think that they're either going to be Notre Dame or they're going to create some sort of run with the resources and the limits of the, the, the self-imposed limits and the resources they have available. They think they're right. going to create a run that is going to turn the, turn the eye of the Big 12 or the Pac-12. It's not going to happen. I still think the Big 12 could happen under the right circumstances, but maybe those right circumstances have already happened and they won't happen again. Hey, man, the Big 12 could F up a foot race. <laughs> I mean, like, putting your stock in the Big 12, noticing you, and then following through, that seems <laughs> insane. Yeah. All right, you need to get, get on a plane. Bill! Yeah. I'll see you on the Sunday recap show. That'll work.